This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits, and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, 7 months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening, and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Happy Passover and happy Easter. Great time of year, the spring, a time of rebirth. And what better way to enjoy nature than to plan a trip? How about a trip into space? Axiom Space a company that was formed to make space accessible to everyone by bringing working, living, and research in space to a broader and more international audience. All members of the company are former NASA employees. On Friday, April 8th, history was made with the successful launch of the world's first private mission to the International Space Station that hovers in the low Earth orbit. The International Space Station flies at an average altitude of 248 miles, that's about 400 kilometers above the Earth, and it circles the globe every 90 minutes at a speed of 17,500 miles an hour, beginning a new era in human spaceflight. Thomas Jefferson University had a very special role in the launch. Three of our Jefferson physician scientists spent experiments as part of the Axe One mission to the space station. We'll hear from each of these doctors later in the show. But first, joining us is Dr. Mark Tikachinsky, Provost and Executive Vice President for Academic Affairs at Thomas Jefferson University, and the Anthony and Gertrude De Palma Dean of Sidney Kimmel Medical College, here to explain how Jefferson won a seat on this trip. Welcome, Mark, and congratulations. I watched the launch, and I know you were there at Cape Canaveral. So exciting. Yeah, terrific. It, it really was quite awesome of, you know, having three experiments uh, go up towards the International Space Station. Uh, we got a ringside seat. Uh, it was about 3.5 miles away from the launch site, but it was as close as you can get, if, you know, because we were there in the same area where the families were of uh, those going into space. Uh, and when as it was going up, you could feel the rumble of the ground, the heat, oh, notwithstanding the 3.5 years. So it was just really very special and particularly special knowing that uh, we had experiments and a piece of, of that mission. Now, the space travelers, as they're being called, they're not formal astronauts. Now, the, the commander is a former NASA 
astronaut, uh, Michael Lopez Alegria. Uh, but the other men are, uh, one's a real estate entrepreneur who was familiar with 16 different aircraft. Another was an Israeli Air Force pilot. And uh, the other man also had a lot of experience, but pretty incredible. It's really the first mission with four private citizens. Tell us about how Jefferson became involved in this incredible point in history. Sure. Well, I'd like to think of it over a 200-year span, to tell you the truth. Uh, We started in 1824 as a a medical college right here in uh, Center City, Philadelphia. Uh, In the mid-1900s, we became a health sciences university, but still on one campus. Uh, And then five years ago, with the merger with Philadelphia University, suddenly we had two main campuses, four satellite campuses. But we started uh, our global outreach through Jefferson Global Centers, as we called them. And one of them is the Jefferson Israel Center. And it was really out of that one uh, that we became connected to uh, the flight, uh, which includes uh, Eitan Steeb, who's Israel's second uh, you know, space traveler going going mm-hmm. up, and he was taking 35 experiments with him, and you know, working collaboratively with Sheba Medical Center uh, in Israel, we uh, had three of the 35 experiments going up. And isn't Sheba the number 10 hospital center in the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. I mean, in in the latest Newsweek ranking of uh, hospitals that are, have an academic base. Uh, Sheba was ranked uh, number ten. Incredibly innovative place, and uh, really, re- you know, really resonates with a lot of the kind of innovative approach that we have. And for us, this puts us into the space medicine game. And I think, as we said earlier, the government has the International Space Station has a hand in that. And it looks like the trend is for private companies to take it over because the government uh, jump starts programs that then private industry can focus on and probably less costly and that sort of thing. And I think the ultimate goal of Axiom Space is to um, build their own space station that will orbit in low Earth orbit. And they plan to have that. Their goal is by 2024. So these early visits to um, the space station are helping them learn about um, all the conditions that affect the travelers. But how else do you see the value of these experiments? Yeah, well, well, to your first point, uh, this is, I, I, I believe this is NASA's strategy, is to take what they call near-Earth missions, which include space stations, uh, and increasingly shift that to the private sector in, in essentially what amounts to a NASA private partnership. And this was the first private mission uh, to the International Space Station. Uh, And ultimately, uh, I I believe the private corporations look to having their own space stations go up uh, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, What excites us in the space medicine area as a frontier is, uh, on the one hand, the experiments that uh, you'll you'll hear about uh, are uh, looking at man surviving in space. uh, But from our perspective, it's as much about uh, what we learn from those experiments in space that reflect back to what we do right here on Earth. Uh, there's an incredible uh, legacy of NASA-driven t- you know, technologies that have transformed technologies applicable right here back on planet Earth. And it's as much true uh, from the space mission uh, side as well uh, as it reflects to, to medical technologies. So uh, you know, our work touches on immune system and 
brain function, vision, uh, in, infections that uh, you know space travelers are ten, are prone to. Uh, so I think there's a lot of great insights that we'll get, which will help us right back here on Earth. And you're right, Mark, because we can compare the stress of space travel to stresses here on Earth. If you think about it, the space station uh, um, spins every 90 minutes. It's morning every 90 minutes. What does that do to um, uh, an astronaut's sleep pattern? And maybe we'll learn about stresses that affect sleep health down here on Earth. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This is a, so exciting. I am so proud to be a member of the Jefferson family, and so much of this is a result of you and your outreach to global centers, and congratulations. This is just fantastic. I think the travelers will be down on Monday the 18th. That will be the end of their 10-day visit. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. uh, and I just want to thank you for the opportunity to showcase this. Uh, it really is uh, for for us, and I believe for Philadelphia and, and, and this region, uh, a his, a, an event of historic proportions, you know, being Absolutely. able to make a difference uh, in, in the field of space medicine. Thomas Jefferson would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. And Thank we you have so much. so much to celebrate in 2024, the 200 year anniversary of Jefferson. So, Mark, thank you once again. God bless. Be safe. Uh, you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. Today, we're going to talk about binge drinking. A lot of people want to know, what is binge drinking? People who binge drink actually don't usually have substance use disorders or alcohol use disorder, but it's incredibly dangerous. So binge drinking is defined as drinking to a blood level of .08 or higher within a couple of hours. That's typically about five drinks for men and four for women. Now, if you're saying that sounds like normal drinking, right? Uh-uh, in the scope of the country, that's actually pretty heavy drinking all at one time. One in six people in the U.S. binge drink, and they binge drink on average four times a month, drinking seven drinks when they binge. That's over 17 billion binge drinks a year. The important thing to know about binge drinking is it can not only be harmful, it can actually be deadly. So when somebody binge drinks and their body's not used to that amount of alcohol, they can actually have an alcohol overdose. We're so familiar with opioid overdose, but there's alcohol overdose too and it's just as dangerous. But also in addition to that, car crashes, violence, homicide, suicide, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies. There's a lot of harm that happens from binge drinking. So before you go out there and have a few more drinks than you expected, give that some thought. If you or a loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY. 
I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. And welcome back to your radio doctor. We've just heard from the Dean of Sidney Kimmel Medical College that Jefferson has the good fortune to be participating in a historic event. Three of our physician scientists have research studies that were sent on the world's first private mission to the International Space Station. And now I'm pleased to welcome each of those doctors to tell us about their work. Dr. Adam Decker is an MD and PhD, professor and chair of the Department of Radiation Oncology at Jefferson University Hospital. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for being Pleasure here. Pleasure to be here. Well, congratulations. It must be surreal to know that your work is in space. No, it was exciting. We were fortunate, a number of us, to actually be physically present and, and view the launch at Cape Canaveral. Um, some of us, uh, I was in Israel in June and had met uh, Eitan Stibbe, the Israeli uh, astronaut, uh, who's now uh, with his colleagues in the International Space Station. So um, uh, it, it, it's been very thrilling. You know what I wondered, and I want to hear about your work, but when the um, the rocket, of course, propels the spacecraft, does that lock onto the space station? Where do you park your spacecraft when you're visiting the space station? Yeah, so the... Um, uh, so the way the so the rocket in in question is um, it was made and and all the details related to the launching is uh, space SpaceX. This is the Elon Musk. Uh, it's called the rocket is called the Dragon. Um, it has a, a unique design in that the uh, the booster uh, rocket, which is the overwhelming majority of the uh, length of the rocket actually returns to Earth and it lands, quote, by itself on a platform floating in the ocean. And uh, that occurred about nine minutes after the launch. Um, yes, the, the capsule that contains the three uh, private astronauts and the pilot uh, um, is uh, currently parked and docked at the International Space Station. They actually docked uh, uh, Saturday morning, about 7.25 a.m. It's incredible. So, Adam, I know I've heard you explain that after a space mission, astronauts seem to have an impaired immune system, as evidenced by familiar skin rashes like shingles, maybe a herpes cold sore on the lip, or other clinical symptoms and signs. For our listeners, you're a radiation oncologist, and you care for patients who undergo, uh, undergo cancer therapy that can cause suppression of the immune system. Tell us about the nature of your study, your research. 
Yeah, so we're interested in, in really both facets of the immune system. We're interested in how uh, various cancer therapies affect the immune system out of con- from a toxicity standpoint. We're also concerned and interested in how can you potentially manipulate the immune system so you can enhance uh, cancer therapy. And one of the huge advances in the field of um, cancer, cancer treatment, has been immunotherapy. Uh, the work from uh, James Allison and others uh, who received the Nobel Prize for this work approximately four or five years ago showed that there are these molecules that um, if you inhibit them, you uh, release the breaks. These Normally, the immune system is kept tightly regulated so that it doesn't attack the body. And that's what occurs for patients who have autoimmune diseases. In cancer, the immune system, in effect, is suppressed. And these drugs kind of release or relieve the suppression. And they've uh, had significant advances. Um, we're at the beginning stages. There, um, there are about four or five of these drugs approved, but we're just beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg of all the different ways you can manipulate uh, the immune system to enhance uh, uh, the cure rates for, for patients. So I, we study both, you know, kind of the yin and the yang of, of the immune system. And you explained that so clearly. It's hard to grasp all the details but you painted that picture so clearly. And I think um, I've been reading as much as I could about your work and uh, the other projects, but there are about 8,000 8, proteins in the blood uh, that you're, that are, are your focus, if I'm correct. So you can take blood samples from the space travelers before launch and then more samples at intervals when the, upon their return. Are they the proteins you're looking at that you can manipulate? Yeah, so the fundamental question that was posed by um, our Israeli collaborator who actually spent four years with us here in Philadelphia, Professor Yaakov Lawrence, is why is it that uh, astronauts after spending a period of time in space, either in space or when they return, they have all these um, infections and other things that are going on. Uh, So we hypothesize that there's a dysfunction of uh, the immune system. So now the question is, how do you study it? And um, that's not so trivial um, to study it. There are many different components to the immune system. There are many different cells that comprise the immune system. So what we did is there's another part of my life where I'm involved with an Israeli startup called Oncohost. And Oncohost is interested Uh, It's a diagnostic company that studies uh, proteins in the blood plasma. And they're interested in understanding why do some patients develop resistance to cancer immunotherapy? Mm. Why do some patients get cured? Uh, For those patients who develop resistance, can you propose alternative strategies, treatment strategies for them? And the final question they're interested in is, why do some people develop toxicity, autoimmune reactions to this cancer therapy, and some don't? So by studying a subset of the proteins, we only study 8,000. There are more than 8,000 proteins, but 8,000 is enough. 
and it covers um, uh, all the uh, relevant players, so to speak. Um, we have um, prediction algorithms about why some patients are, uh, who's going to be cured and who's not going to be cured and who's going to develop resistance. So we took this analytic platform. So this company is made up mostly of data scientists, um, protein scientists, uh, etc. And we said, can we repurpose this cancer diagnostic platform and repurpose it to study the immune system of the astronauts? And this was the proposal that we, it was a joint proposal between mm -hmm. Sheba Medical Center, Thomas Jefferson University, Anko Host, uh, to the, um, uh, what's called the Rakia Foundation, the Ramon Foundation, which was um, a foundation that was started um, after the uh, Challenger um, uh, incident where the first Israeli astronaut, Ilan Ramon, uh, passed away. So they promote all sorts of um, studies related to space uh, exploration and uh, promote awareness and astronomy and environment and all sorts of things. And there was a call for proposals. So this was like a private-public uh, kind of partnership with a number of different uh, stakeholders um, to do something that no one has done before. And with all the years of NASA and NASA science, and there's a huge amount of NASA science, no one has done this in terms of studying uh, these proteins uh, in the blood before and after space flight. So that's really the novelty. It's the novelty of the platform. No one has done it. Uh, we will um, deposit the data, the raw data, in the public domain so that other people can use their own analytic methods uh, to analyze the raw data and, and you know, develop, put it in the, for the public good. Well, I think too, Adam, when I'm listening to you and our colleagues and Marta Kaczynski, our dean, talk about the purpose of studying these issues in space. Well, <clears throat> the hope is um, Axiom Space, the company, hopes to make space more accessible. There will be more people traveling there. But the bigger picture is that you'll be able to apply what you learn about the immune system to the broader population here. And I just, I lived through when I was in training um, HIV before it had a name. And we learned so much about the immune system from that. And then we can apply that to, as I say, cancer patients who will do well, who will resist therapy, COVID, all these things are really intertwined. And it's brilliant to hear you talk about these things. Yeah, there's a number of, look, there are uh, a number of drugs, certainly in the gastrointestinal space. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there are other drugs that are meant to um, either dampen the immune system or attenuate the immune system. So whether it be uh, uh, diseases related to neuroscience, uh, autoimmune diseases, etc., there are a lot of different ways that the immune system plays a role. So um, to help the civilian population, so to speak, the, you know, the earthbound population, we think that there are a number of um, downstream benefits. Um, this is the first time anyone's studying it in this manner. So, um, you know, these are early days, but uh, we do think there are, there's potential um, benefit uh, to other areas. It's, it's so exciting and we are so fortunate um, that you are at the helm. And I'm very proud to call you my colleague. And I can't wait to have you back to tell us an update when you get results that we can hear about. 
Adam, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day and thank you for joining us. Thank you and have a blessed day. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. This is Emily Rubin, registered dietitian, here to present you with your nutrition tip of the week. So what does that mean? Maybe that means it's time to change your diet or have find a healthier lifestyle, something that's gonna make you feel better or help a disease. But who do you go to? Do you look at Instagram that may tell you about a super detox diet, a diet of shakes that are gluten-free that's gonna change your life? I don't think so. Do you listen to your coworker telling you that, you know, eating um, gluten-free or avoiding dairy or a cleanse is going to help you? Not necessarily. And then there's also health coaches and nutritionists that might be providing nutritional information, but they're not necessarily accurate information. So what's the best choice? Come see a registered dietitian. A registered dietitian has the coursework and clinical rotations. They're accredited by an academy. They pass a national exam, and they do continuing education to keep up their education and the current information. They use science-based research so we can be more confident on up-to-date and reliable information. And we also focus on diseases and nutrient deficiencies such as food sensitivities, supplements. We work with your physician as well to make sure to guide you with the best diet that is going to meet your disease state and your unique needs. My recommendation is to find a dietitian to be your coach, cheerleader, and most importantly, your advocate. To find one near you, you can either go on your health insurance. There's a list of participating dietitians. Many are covered with very little co-pays. You could ask your doctor. There's plenty of dietitians like myself associated with your physician or visit the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website. This is Emily Rubin, registered dietitian, wrapping up your nutrition tip of the week. For more information, visit yourradiodoctor.com. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman Orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com.
Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. And welcome back to your radio doctor. We continue our coverage of the experiments being done right now at the International Space Station that were sent by physician scientists from Jefferson. Our next guest, Dr. Paul Chung, Associate Professor of Urology and Co-Director of the Men's Health Program at Jefferson. Welcome, Paul. We appreciate you being here today. Great. Thank you, Marianne, for having me. It's uh, exciting to be here, and it's an honor to be here uh, to discuss our work. Well, Paul, you've explained so clearly that when people go to space, they seem to be more likely to contract urinary tract infections and urinary retention, which has to be very uncomfortable. Could you tell us about your research that and why it's unique, why it was chosen for the space mission? Sure. Um, this is definitely an exciting opportunity for us. Uh, not many people are able to say that they've conducted a project in space or on the space station. So just as a general standpoint, this is pretty awesome. Uh, in terms of our, nat- our research and what exactly we're trying to do is we're trying to better understand what may be occurring in the urine uh, as these space travelers are going into orbit or on orbit. What I mean by that is uh, urine has traditionally been thought of as being a sterile environment, meaning no organisms, no infection. Um, However, in reality, there are many organisms that are actually within the urine. We just previously didn't know that they were there and didn't have the technology to identify that they were there. Just like your gut has a natural flora of good and bad organisms, the same thing exists for the urine. We don't know much about this at all. Um, There is some early research that is being studied. Some of this early research is pointing in the direction that changes in the bacteria or organisms in the urine may contribute to changes or unwanted urinary symptoms. So that's why this is an exciting time to be able to do this type of research and uh, to be able to do this on the space station and for people who are traveling uh, into, into orbit um, is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And you explained it so well, Paul. Um, I watched your video the other day. And as you say, we always thought urine was sterile, but maybe any bugs that live there uh, that are good bugs um, didn't grow well on our typical gel agar or the volume might be too small for us to detect. But now you're using a different technology to identify those bugs. Tell us about that. Uh, yes, you're correct. So the kind of a, the traditional microbiology way, which is the study of organisms, um, is to take a, a sample of whatever it may be, urine, blood, uh, wound, um, pus, and put it literally on a plate, put it in a freezer, uh, I'm sorry, in a, uh, in a, heat, in a heated uh, in a heated container and hope that uh, something will grow. But not all organisms can grow in that environment. Some are fastidious, meaning difficult to grow, and some require different uh, restraints or different environment to grow. So we are utilizing a technology called next-generation sequencing to help us to identify what organisms may be inside a certain specimen. 
Rather than trying to grow an organism, next generation sequencing is looking at all of the genetic uh, material within a sample and then matching up any type of sequence to what's called a known database. This database will have hundreds of thousands of organisms that uh, may be present and be able to try to match the two together. And that's the way that we can see whether an organism uh, may be present in a sample. So we're able to kind of uh, not worry about the environment. And also, fr quite frankly, we don't even need to worry about whether the organism is alive. Uh, we'll be able to detect them, uh, their presence, uh, regardless of their existing present nature. That in itself is fascinating. So so you're using the new term that's that we're hearing more is machine learning, I guess, that you'll be able to use DNA uh, identifiers to see what lives in our urine. And so I know that the goal of Axiom Space, the company, is to make space more accessible. So we want to make sure that when people travel to space, that they're prepared, we protect them. But you want to use your information to shed light on patients in the wider population when their um, microbiomes or the, the content of their urine is stressed by different medicines or chemotherapy. Tell us about that, how it would apply to people here on Earth. Right. So... Um... This is an exciting opportunity to be able to study a ch potential change. We don't know if we will see one, but we hope that we will. Um, change in the urinary microbiome for these space travelers who are going to the space station. This is an exciting opportunity because we want to evaluate things in a stressful environment. And you can imagine going to this, this type of trip um, is probably the most stressful environment you can potentially think of. So it's, and even though it may be artificially created, it can help us understand whether changes may occur under certain types of changes that the body may occur. Um, so we are utilizing this type of extreme environment to recreate what may happen to people who are here on Earth uh, in terms of what happens if you develop uh, a change in your urinary system, maybe perhaps due to diet. Um, we don't have any studies that show that, but th that's the kind of goal that we have. Or, or does perhaps uh, um, a cancer inside of your body affect uh, changes in your urinary microbiome? Um, those are things that we don't exactly know, um, but people will be interested in finding out. And I was thinking about that as you said that with GI, we talk about Crohn's disease and different conditions of the bowel that are, we think, possibly linked to changes in the microbiome. And in terms of the space travelers, you're going to collect samples of their urine before the flight while they're at the space station when they return. And you're also going to give them questionnaires to see if any symptoms correlate with measurable changes in the urine. Is that a good way to say it? That's an explanation of our project, excellent, excellent explanation of our project. Um, the reason why we are doing the study in this way is not only that we can see changes before and after, but there have been a, a, several incidences where space travelers who have gone into orbit have developed urinary infection mm. or developed urinary retention where they could not even urinate. Um, so that's why we provided them the questionnaires so that we can also assess whether they've had any changes in their symptoms and to see whether any changes in those symptoms may be also linked to any changes in their urinary microbiome. And this is yeah. important because we obviously want to protect uh, the space travelers themselves because uh, while they're in orb on orbit, there's limited type of uh, care that they may be able to receive. 
course, they undergo emergency training and have the ability and likely have medications and emergency equipment to receive urgent treatment and have good communication with us here on Earth. But uh, trying to minimize those risks uh, is definitely number one priority. And the second is now that we have uh, space travelers who are not professional astronauts who are going into space, we also need to be sending them in a responsible way and thinking about their safety. And we talk about this because we count on technology and so many people, Axiom Space is pretty much all former NASA em, uh, employees, right? And so they have the knowledge and the experience. But I remember watching an episode of, um, I don't know, uh, National Geographic or one of those science um, cable shows and, and hearing that there is a gene for thrill-seeking. There is a gene that makes Evil Knievel willing to ride his motorcycle and jump from one mountain to the next. It must take a very deep um, supply of courage to get into uh, a, a rocket ship and go, don't you think? Oh, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, many people who kind of heard about that we were doing a research uh, experiment in space commonly asked me, you know, are you going? Uh, are you going? Are you, yeah. you going to go there and physically uh, uh, collect your urine or go physically collect urine in space? And uh, I told them that, you know, that no one had offered me that opportunity. Well, they're a mistake. But I think, too, as you mentioned, what are the stresses that change the atmosphere in our bladder, in our GI tract, in our lungs? What are we inhaling? What are we eating? So it'll be interesting to see if diet, I mean, their diet is all controlled and they eat what they're given. But um, it's just fascinating to me that there are so many layers to study. And I can't wait to have you back to learn what you were able to gather and interpret um, from the results you collect. Dr. Paul Chung, thank you so much for joining us today. Any other parting words or any thoughts? I'd like to thank all of the collaborators who have helped us uh, with this project. This is not something that I was able to do alone. Uh, we have a, an excellent collaboration here at Jefferson with Sheba, uh, with other institutions in Canada, as well as Texas Tech. Um, we have also had um, the people at Axiom uh, who have been helping us to ensure that this um, experiment can be conducted efficiently and successfully, and also to the space travelers who are dead, who have been uh, dedicated in donating their specimens to uh, science, and I wish them um, a safe journey as well as a safe journey home. So well said. Beautiful, Paul. Thank you for joining us, and we can't wait to have you back. Thank you. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. 
Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at rothmanortho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. And welcome back to your radio doctor. It is a joy to have Jefferson colleagues here talking about the research studies that they sent to the International Space Station about a week ago on April 8th. Our next guest is Dr. John Hannafin, Associate Professor of Neurology and the Associate Director of the Light Research Program at Thomas Jefferson University. Welcome, John. We really appreciate you joining us today. Pleasure to be here. You know, I wanted to say this before, but if I were involved, I think I would have to call this the Jefferson Starship. <laughs> no? Yes. I mean, they were a band in the mid-80s, right at the beginning of Jefferson's light research project joining NASA, right? Since the mid-80s? Since the mid-80s. Dr. Brainerd has been leading the call, the uh, charge here at Jefferson, and uh, the light research program has been very fortunate to uh, be working with NASA throughout those years. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm all about pop culture, so I had to associate it with something else in the mid-80s. So if, if we can't use Jefferson Starship, <laughs> I might have to have Jackie Gleason introduce you and your work and say, to the moon, Alice. <laughs> but we're not at the moon. But um, So the light research program, you've learned so much in 40-plus years. Um, and tell us exactly what you found, you found evidence for photoreceptors and how they help us uh, with people traveling to space and how it applies to people here on Earth. I, uh, so throughout the 80s and 90s, we were running studies that showed that there was a, a different response going on uh, related to wavelength um, that kind of pointed to the direction that there must be a novel uh, photoreceptor because the rods and cones could not explain the uh, neuroendocrine data that we were getting um, uh, with their wavelength sensitivities. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, uh, 20, 20 years ago, thereabouts, um, it was discovered that there is a completely uh, novel photoreceptor system in the eye um, that talks to um, the circadian clock, uh, suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain, as well as a multitude of other brain areas and throughout and pretty much talks through the whole nervous system. Mm -hmm. So the good parallel that you talk about is that the ear of course, is meant to provide hearing, but it has non-hearing function when it affects our balance. The right. same with the eye. The eye, of course, is the window for our vision, but it has these non-visual functions like circadian rhythm. What um, lets us get sleepy at uh, the end of the day and then what perks us up. It's the rise and fall of our adrenaline. 
and it affects other neural behaviors that we can talk about. But I think that's the beauty of what your project is. And we have to um, explain to our listeners too, that when you're in the space station and the whole mission of Axiom Space, this company is to make space more accessible, let more people travel there and do research studies, et cetera. But if you're a human being uh, on the space station, it's morning every 90 minutes. That uh, space station circumnavigates the globe every 90 minutes the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. That has to mess with your sleep cycles. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, light is the primary zeitgeber or time giver uh, to entrain uh, your body's rhythms of, of sleep and wakefulness, body temperature, hormonal secretion, and other physiological um, endpoints. So yeah, um, you're getting a confused signal. And um, and the previous lighting on station was uh, based in fluorescent lighting. And with the advent of LEDs, we were able to really control the uh, the intensity and um, and wavelengths that, that that are emitted. And so um, Dr. Brainerd and colleagues from Harvard and, and Kennedy Space Center helped to design lighting to meet um, these needs. So your first role was to understand the different wavelengths that affect uh, pre-sleep. Maybe that's um, mm-hmm. incandescent lights, those warm lights that we think about. And if you can manipulate the lighting. So your your big work up to now was providing proper lighting to support um, space travelers' vision, but also how it impacts their biology and behavior, which is so important because, um, it, you know, sleep health, we're learning so much about sleep apnea and what you learn about providing a safe environment for space travelers will have so many um, trickle-down effects for people here with um, their sleep health. So, John, how do you collect the data? Um, We collect the data a multitude of ways. Um, Actographs is... um is a is a way uh it's uh, essentially you know it's, the technology is moving into fitbits um, but it measures your motion and measures when you're awake and when you're asleep so it's non-invasive it just sits on your wrist like a wristwatch um oh so that's one way we also have them fill out sleep logs we're working with the canadian team on this particular mission to collect uh, sleep information and um and you can actually uh, collect uh, urine over time, and that mm. that uh, has a metabolite of melatonin that you can measure and see a circadian rhythm to it, whether it's uh, in phase or not with uh, the lighting cycle. And um, is the log are the sleep logs just a result of what's collected in that actograph, which is a band that the the uh, space traveler wears on their wrist? Or do they also keep a written log? Yeah, it's kind of in, in addition to, yeah. Oh, good. It's, it's done on an, an iPad. Do we know anything about the people who have traveled to space before in terms of sleep? Do they come home and say, I had nightmares? I mean, they have to have an elevated level of adrenaline um, because they're ha- excited in a happy way, but there has to be a little fear involved there. I mean, you know, sure. people have nightmares ex- when they're really stressed. Do they Have have you any data prior to this that, that – um, trending sure mm-hmm. our friends our colleagues at harvard have been studying this for years um sleep uh duration and structure and quality are altered in spaceflight 
Um, NASA has recommended uh, eight hours of sleep, and they actually schedule you for eight hours of sleep. Um, but studies have shown, uh, going back to shuttle days and, and even earlier, um, that the average sleep is only about six hours on station. So, um, and we know that chronic partial sleep loss can lead to to decrements in your performance and your alertness. So, uh, it's been a known um, problem uh, that NASA has been investigating for years, um, and and we've been a, a small part of that. Oh, it's just fascinating to me, and I and I wonder if there's any connection too with early onset dementia. Do they ever talk about that? Um, that well, it, it, that that can possibly be um, an an issue. And then you you're going to measure color vision too. I think that's fascinating. Tell us about that, if you would. So our recommendations include um, some brighter blue shifted lights for alerting and um, and phase shifting your circadian rhythm as well as a, a general illumination setting and a, and a pre-sleep setting, right? So the, the pre-sleep setting is um, gets away from the blue lights. It's red-shifted, and it's much dimmer. So um, we, we, want to, um, we want to carry out tests of color vision and uh, visual performance to, um, to see if there's uh, any major differences in this pre-sleep condition. And so... Um... How do you measure that? You you give people you give the um, travelers a sort of a rainbow, and they have to pick out the colors and identify yeah, they them. Try, mm-hmm. Exactly, they try to arrange these colored discs in order of a like a rainbow hue, um, and, and it's it's much easier under a general illumination, um, but it's uh, it's much more difficult in the uh, in the pre sleep setting. Mm-hmm. And then you're also asking them to answer questions about different levels of contrast from black, I guess, through different shades of gray to white. Do you, I, I thought about this. Wouldn't this be great information to learn for patients who are in intensive care where it's light all the time? The lights are always on. Um, we know it is sundowning when, when a patient's in intensive care and they're getting sedation or they're getting uh, pain medicines that confuse them to begin with. And every time they open their eyes, the lights are on. They don't know if it's Tuesday at 2 a.m. or Wednesday at 4 p.m. And I would think that those um, information you learn about proper lighting would be helpful to that setting uh, Absol- you know, as an example. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, we are uh, in a process of installing um, lighting in the... Um, uh, neuroscience hospital here at Jefferson to look awesome. just at that question. So your work has led to helping choose the lighting for the space station. How many people can say that? And your goals now are to understand the best types of lighting to support vision so people can do their work, but also that it doesn't impact their biology or, or their sleep cycles and, and other behaviors in a negative way. And um, pretty, pretty impressive that you're so involved with NASA. And I know you got to see the um, the launch. They're scheduled to land on Monday somewhere in the ocean. Are you going to be there, John? <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> we won't be there, but we will be uh, setting up uh, our equipment to do some post-flight uh, testing in, in the Orlando area. Yes. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, say hi to Mickey and Minnie. I bet they'll be there too. <laughs> just don't let Goofy anywhere near the place. No, he gets a little carried away. Not at all. 
Dr. John Hannafin, you are a star, as are Adam Dicker and Paul Chung and Mark Dickachinsky. Such an exciting time for Jefferson. And we're going to call it the Jefferson Starship anyway. There you go. A lot to celebrate when we have our 200-year anniversary in 2024. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Hoagies for Hope. This is a great story for the spring, a time for rebirth and a time for hope. Super Bowl Sunday, a national tradition, a time for family and friends to gather and enjoy great football and even better party food. What better way to calm your nerves and help cheer on your favorite team than to enter battle armed with the perfect fuel, a giant delicious hoagie. Clearview Regional High School in Mullica Hill, New Jersey has their own tradition. 2022 marked the eighth year that Student Council has conducted a great event that raises money for families in the community who need financial and moral support because a family member has a chronic illness, has been in an accident, or they're dealing with a tragedy, and they're faced with unexpected expenses. About a month before the big game, students take pre-orders, then all the fixings, sliced lunch meats, cheese, rolls, pickles, peppers, the wrapping, even paper bags are donated or sold at a discount. I'm getting hungry just thinking of all the choices, turkey hoagies, cheese, and my favorite, Italian hoagies. The hoagie committee includes 30 students and they start their well-oiled assembly line at 5 a.m. on Super Bowl Sunday. They're grateful for the extra hands provided by the cafeteria staff. Then by 10 a.m., Hungry Hoagie fans are able to pick up their orders without even having to leave their cars. Students hand the bags of precious cargo right through the car window. Students and faculty alike are excited to talk about their great project. Dr. Steve Moraka is the school guidance counselor and is very proud of his students, including his daughter, Mary. When Mary graduates this year, her sister Bella will step in her shoes and take over where Mary left off. Mary Maraca and Gavin Corley are this year's co-chairs and have been very involved every year since they were in middle school. Gavin is committed because he knows the program has a positive impact on the community. He wants to be a positive influence on people's lives. And Mary wants to leave a mark on the world. She says, when you act in a helping way, you influence others to follow your example. Their student council moderators were interviewed on TV last year. Ms. Christina Booty said, it feels good to know we're helping to relieve a family's financial stress. And at the time, recipients were middle school families and a recent high school grad. Mr. Michael Walk said he's assured that these students will go out after high school and continue their service because of the joy they felt when helping others that left a lasting impression. Everyone wants to help. In 2019, there were over 400 volunteers, but with COVID, the plan had to be streamlined. There are fewer hands making hoagies, but lots of ways to help. Beginning as early as November, students can look for sponsors from the community. Since 2015, the team has raised over $125,000. This year in particular, students were especially motivated to bring hope from selling hoagies because a fellow senior was in a serious car accident which kept her hospitalized for weeks. The student and her family are extremely grateful for the financial support, the emotional outpouring, and her remarkable recovery. 
Dr. Steve Morocco was thrilled to share that this year was a record breaker with 1,495 hoagies sold and $35,000 raised, which was shared among four families. Friends, this is a remarkable story about remarkable kids. They've come to see that little positive gestures go a long way, and they realize acts of kindness are what make a community. So whatever college they attend or job they pursue, they will be welcome members of any team because they're leaving high school with more than an education. They're entering the world with a clear view. We salute you, Mary Maraca, Gavin Corley, their fellow students and teachers, Ms. Christina Booty, Mr. Michael Walk, and Dr. Steve Maraca, your real champions. Lend your support to Hoagies for Hope. Buy some hoagies or send a donation to Clearview Regional High School. Call 856-223-2760. 856-223-2760. Thank you for listening this week and every week. You can hear this show again or any show when you visit our website, yourradiodoctor.com. Send me a note. Let me know if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or send the story of a real champion to info at yourradiodoctor.net, info at yourradiodoctor.net. Thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America and Rothman Orthopedic Institute. Join us next week when we welcome Dr. Paul Offit, nationally acclaimed vaccine specialist and infectious disease specialist from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And the following week, we'll share an update on Lyme disease. You won't want to miss either of these shows. A special wish for a blessed Easter and happy Passover. Both come in the spring and represent a time for new beginnings, starting over, and forgiveness. Enjoy this special time with your family and friends. This is your radio doctor, Marianne Ritchie. And yes, the Easter Bunny is a personal friend. I hope you have a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. 